and welcome back, everyone, to Thunderdome Metal Reviews, where we won't fucking do what you told us unless it is to quarantine, in which case we're cool with that because of the coronavirus. Anyway, thank you for joining us again. We have special guest Dr. David Pizzo with us again this week to discuss the Church of Heavy Metal. I am Ben, and Tracy is here as well. How are y'all doing tonight? I'm doing pretty good, all things considered. Yeah, uh, I'm quarantined. <laughs> I sure home, but uh, it's good to be back. Uh, this is a much better use of my time than just reading more about the viral apocalypse. <laughs> yes, without a doubt. And if you couldn't tell by that wonderful quotation mark intro, we are talking about the 1992 release of Rage Against the Machine's self-titled debut album. It comes in at 52 minutes and 55 seconds. The personnel on the album are Zach De La Roca on vocals, Tom Morello on guitar, Tim Comerford or Timmy C on bass, Brad Willick on drums, with special appearances by Maynard James Keenan for additional vocals on Know Your Enemy, and Stephen Perkins of Jane's Addiction for additional percussion on Know Your Enemy. So I'm just going to open up the floor to get people's thoughts. So I, in a very weird act of irony, bought this album at the Mall of America the week it opened. So this giant capitalist emporium cathedral thing. And I remember I was in the record store back when that was still a thing. Uh, and I picked up, I don't remember what I grabbed. I think it was Ministry, Land of Rape and Honey, and then Butthole Surfers. And then the guy was like, you should check this out. And I, of course, recognize the picture, that yeah. awful self-immolation shot from 63 in Saigon, that Buddhist monk who was protesting the DM regime. So mm -hmm. that was enough for me. I'm like, oh, I know this picture. This sounds okay, I guess. And, you know, I popped it in. This was, uh, this was up in Minnesota back in that summer of 92. And, uh, you know, I was pretty blown away right from the get-go. I mean, rap metal was already a thing. I mean, on a certain level, we could get into Anthrax and Public Enemy or, mm -hmm. you know, the whole sort of walk this way, run DMC thing. But yep. uh, there wasn't a lot of it compared to, you know, the avalanche of, uh, you know, I don't have to name bands, Limp Bizkit, Mushroom Hat, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, you know, it was pretty innovative and it was very, very political in a way that uh, I think put it very much at odds with that era i mean i don't want to character the 90s but the 90s were sort of this i mean listen to the rest of it sugar ray y'all in terms of the sort of music <laughs> right yeah, you know a... uh hey man you're a rock star what's that um that's not sugar ray that's yeah, uh, 90s had mouth anyway yeah you know it's just so this was so in your face and just was you know like the cover of the album you were just pouring gasoline all over yourself and setting yourself on fire um, you know, and it was part of my sort of radical education along with Public Enemy, you know, had done a lot of that. So, uh, you know, and, and then I think it sort of seemed maybe sort of, you know, maybe like an affectation. I didn't think that, but I think some people thought it was just sort of a pretentious, you know, coffee shop lefty type of thing. But I mean, if anything, the stuff they were describing has gotten worse <laughs> since then. So, uh, you know. Uh, I may be jumping ahead here, but uh, that's, that's, that's a long-winded way of saying that I remember getting something very, very well, and it made quite an impression on me. So it's your start is, it started your radical turn to the left as a young adolescent? Continued it. I mean, I, I blame Public Enemy mostly, and rightfully so. 
unite chuck d like that's a huge part of that i mean it was him yeah. of it. but it, it definitely pushed me further down that direction even nwa oh yeah but, um nwa public enemy because that uh, was all like 88 uh, I think for Black Planet was 88. Um, then It Takes a Nation of Millions to Keep Us Down was 89. I might have those two backwards. Um, and then they ha- had an album that came out in 90 as well. But yeah, this really did fit much more into that political edge of hardcore rap or punk music of an earlier generation than it really did with metal. I would agree with that. Um, as to the, the rap metal stuff, again, this was kind of that weird in between time before it was it was still somewhat novel for metal and rap to get together in like the 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 two things that you referenced but then you had some bands working it in like biohazard on their debut album from 92 that we talked about uh, on an earlier episode but it hadn't quite reached the new metal thing yet it was still a couple years out from that so this did seem incredibly innovative and very radical um, so angry and for good reasons. And yeah, I, and I do think that there is kind of that accusation that, of the affectation, but that seems to be a modern thing. I think most people at the time, if there was any pushback, it was this, just that people missed the fucking message because you just had a bunch of frat dudes and bards shouting, fuck you, I won't do what you tell me because that's cool and it's rebellious, but having no idea what the context was. We It's on record that the former... Speaker of the House, Paul Ryan, said one of his favorite bands was uh, Rage Against the Machine, drawing a blank on the name band we're talking about. But, I mean, obviously, people of that generation, I think you can see it with those albums you discussed about with Biohazard, NWA, Public Enemy. There were very two very different separate sides of America. You had the Poppy, Sugar Ray, Hoodie and the Blowfish, Everything's Perfect, Life is Great. And then you had a lot of these bands coming out from the larger urban areas going, no, it's fucking horrible, and this is why. Well, you had rural areas doing it too, but it was much more of a a class consciousness without realizing that it was politicized. So they were talking about a lot of the struggles of the working poor and things like that. They just didn't connect it to a political consciousness, which is very weird. But, you know, it whereas – with rage there is this is such a political band and i think a lot of that boils down to the fact that pretty much everybody in the band at least that i can think of i don't know all their biographies super well but came from immigrants or people of color backgrounds you know and and saw the struggle on a daily basis for fuck's sake zach de la roca's grandfather was a sandinista you know Mm -hmm. Or no, not a Sandinista, a Zapata. So it was just these guys were very familiar with the struggle and were educated in the terminology of the political in a way that I think a lot of other acts of that time weren't. For sure. I do want to say there was also the third side, which would be the Stuck Mojo, Toby Keith. Uh, <laughs> yes. Lest we forget. <laughs> yeah. uh, when did Sublime get big? Show. Sublime? Yeah, because they kind of fall in that. Uh, it's 93, a little 94. earlier. I mean, it's around the time, the same time as this album. He was already yeah. dead. And it's. But I just remember being at a Stuck Mojo show, which they were a good band, but really right wing, and them yelling about, you know, Rage Against Machine should go back to Cuba. <laughs> so <laughs> there was definitely a divide in metal, even at the time. Yeah. Um, 
you know, that's what I love about metal. It takes all types, but yeah. And it's kind of interesting now looking at this album through current lenses because you're interesting enough. You're kind of missing some of like, I guess the current times, the political messaging, which things they're talking about has gotten significantly worse. And you see like some bands trying to, I guess you could say step up and kind of carry this radical stylistic uh, writing and presentation. It just doesn't hold the water that Registrar's Machine was able to sure. put out there themselves. I think they lack sometimes the killing chi of their forefathers. I don't know. I just don't think they quite have the, you know, as Ben said, the sort of pure rage or maybe even the sort of like intergenerational linkage to the Zapatistas or, yeah. uh, yeah, there was a lot going on with rage. I think it's weathered well too, which I cannot say of every album I loved from 1992. <laughs> Needless to say. Yeah. I do think it holds up well. If, if anything, it's disheartening that it holds up as well. You would hope that such a crystallized moment of political rage that is talking about such very specific things wouldn't hold up that it would sound dated. It doesn't. Yeah. I no. mean, yeah. I mean, there's some same issues they're talking about in this are going on now. And I think part of it that we know so much more about it nowadays is also in fact, due to, the internet and the interconnectivity between people and letting them know that these instances happen. Well, if anything, I think that's diluted the message some because there's just so many different channels and we'll call a spade a spade. Fox News is much more of a presence than it ever was then. Um, and you, it's just harder to crack the consciousness of an entire generation or subgeneration or intergenerational movement, like David said that you could in the early 90s today because everything is just so siloed as far as how the, the message gets out. Yeah, MTV showed videos back then. <laughs> it, was just a, it was a very different world in terms of there being, uh, you know, the internet was not really a thing. There weren't these sort of silos. I don't want to present it as a utopia. It had all kinds of problems. Oh, no, not this at album. <laughs> But yeah, I think that media markets were not as fragmented and sort of walled off from one another so in a way yeah, i don't I mean, even know if this could come out today i've thought about that because i think it would just be so censored and there would be so much pressure put on to the the record label for some of these albums like killing in the name that calls out white supremacy so fucking directly that man and it's still a granted censored but it's still got mainstream radio play and i just don't know if that would happen now yeah, I don't either. Probably, probably not. I don't think it would. It's yeah, it's it's interesting because on one level it'd be way easier to put it out. You wouldn't even need a record label in terms of how technology yeah. has changed. But uh, so in some ways it would be easier to get out, but it would reach as many people. Probably not. I mean, it's just the you know the SoundCloud world we live in is very different. Yeah. So, um. But I'm glad it does exist. And, you know, they, they cranked out some more content after this that was quite good. I haven't heard anything. I don't know if they've recorded any new songs. I haven't heard any of the new stuff from supposedly their touring, question mark. I think they're back together. They did get back together, and they were supposed to start touring. But whether what that means in this moment, I can't say. I don't know yeah. whether they're still touring or if it's on hiatus or what. Sure. It's shown their last album. Release studio album was Renegades, and they got a live album from 2003. But that's the last thing I'm seeing wise yeah. Yeah. for them is like production. 
Yep. Although I will say, to kind of jump ahead, if you haven't heard it, um, Prophets of Rage captures mm-hmm. a lot of the same sentiment, and yeah, they released sure. two albums, which it should because it's everybody in this band except for Zach just replaced with Be Real and Chuck D. So. Damn. Yeah, it's quite good. Yeah, very good. I don't think it's B-Real's trajectory is interesting because he was not very political. I mean, he's from no, he not at all. Cypress Hill. Yeah. And, you know, he was in legalization because he likes weed. But that was sort of the extent <laughs> of it. But he, over the course of essentially the teens, the 20 teens, just shifted. Well, there's a lot of the guys from that little rap section because Everlast from House of Pain has become quite political in a lot of his leanings and a lot of his messages, at least on the rap side, not the acoustic stuff he's doing so much. But So it's kind of weird seeing those guys and their contemporaries become more political as they've gotten older. I mean, none of them are immortal technique or anything, but still. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah, and it's, I think, against the trajectory one usually used to assume you know, you get old, you get a mortgage. It's, I think ultimately the world's problems are uh, not diminishing. I feel very comfortable saying that. Life's well, <laughs> yeah. supposed to get better with technology. Uh, you know, I mean, not... I think the argument was you got richer, and so you gave it less of a shit. Was sort of the argument, but yeah, yeah. and that's not happening. Yeah, it's not. Yeah. So, certainly not in the case of me and Ben, who are both crusty and potatoes <laughs> who should be detained. So. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, man. Should we get into talking about it? The nuts and bolts of it? Yeah, man. Let's do it. Let's do it. Man, this album comes on hard. Like, from moment one, it just kicks you in the throat. Mm-hmm. And it stays there. Let me pull up the track listing. It's good yeah. stuff. Yeah. For 52 minutes, from the full 52 minutes of this album, it keeps... It starts at 10, 11, and it stays at 11, and it never lets off. And it stays at your point of consciousness, and... Makes you think about things. Yeah, Bomb Track is just such a, just a two by four to the skull. <laughs> Song of Silver yeah. Core. Just in terms of an opener. I mean, you know, it starts very simple with just that little guitar lick and then bam. Yeah, uh, without a doubt. And they lay their politics out pretty early, too. <laughs> yeah, about like one verse in. Like, yeah. Much moment one. <laughs> Yeah. Landlords and power whores were going to burn. You know, it doesn't get much more straightforward than that. It doesn't. And it goes straight from that to killing in the name. Like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then take the power back. And, and you know, by track five where it have, we, it's bullet in the head. I mean, yeah. it's just unrelenting for ten tracks. Yeah. I even remember Township Rebellion. What's a township? I remember, uh, you know, yeah. South Africa action because that train wreck was ongoing yeah 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 i didn't get that either at the time now knowing looking back it's like oh okay uh-huh and and freedom man with all the the allusions to leonard peltier and the american yeah, indian exactly. movement and all that stuff and just how ballsy that video was to, to just lay the case out like it did that's how i know about that case was essentially that video yeah exactly exactly the same place yep you know, 20, what is it, 26 years, no, 28 years later? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, You know, I mean, I thought it was, for a a debut album, 
and I'm sure they had some stuff that wasn't released before this, but it was, you know, it was crisp. It was clean. There weren't a lot of bells and whistles. It was mixed. Well, it, it was, was very really well produced. It was really angry. I mean, the guitar yeah. playing is just badass. I mean, Tom Morello is Tom Morello. It just, but you know, all those elements were sort of there from the beginning, which I mean, I won't throw other bands under the bus, but there are plenty of other bands that that's, they start off, you know, not quite like that. Or, well, I mean, you know, I know in a subsequent episode we're going to talk about corrosion. I love corrosion, but man, it's a real different animal in the 80s, right? Like, it's just not yeah. even the same yeah. thing. Uh, and Rage, pretty much for moment one, like, yep, this is what we're doing, and we're going to do it, you know, three more times. In terms of studio, EP, uh, studio LPs. Yeah. Yeah. To me, it's amazing how much of a legacy this owes to funk. And that is something sure. that we don't actually talk about crossing over into metal a whole lot. The punk stuff, yeah, okay. And in even the early COCs before the album that we're going to talk about, before Pepper joins the band, I always felt were much more punk than they were necessarily metal. And then when Pepper comes in, they kind of become metal. But this, this is so funky. This is like, and not that Parliament wasn't doing some political stuff too, but it's like somebody goes, okay, let's take the best parts of funk, some of the elements of punk and, and some metal stuff and put it together, but have it be really angry. And that's what this is. And I am here re for renegades it. of funk. <laughs> Indeed, sir. <laughs> the renegades. of So what are you, some of your favorite tracks, Tracy? Some of my favorite tracks, um, killing the name of bullet in the head and fistful of steel come off the top of my head. And of course you guys already talked about the opener bomb track where it does is kick off and put you in your place and sticks with you throughout the whole album. Uh, Settle for Nothing. I mean, there's not a bad song on this track, and I think they're all – there's not a bad song on this album. I think they're all phenomenal. And I couldn't pick a bad track on here. Like, I don't know which one's my least favorite. I don't know which one I'm like, uh, I can do without that one, you know. Uh, yeah, I don't think there's any that I would want to take off of here either. It's also a very in incredibly well-sequenced album, and the way that the tracks are laid out, they make sense, and I don't even know that I would necessarily want to change that up. Yeah, I don't think there's anything any, anything superfluous on here, which is not true of a lot of albums, even some albums I like a lot. There's like yeah, exactly. throwaway tracks, but not mm -hmm. this one. If there's one minor nitpick I have about this album, and it's something that I would have about all their albums, and it's really about the way Zach writes, and I get it. I understand why he does it, because he's trying to get a message up across. And how do you get a message across? You repeat it over and over. Mm -hmm. is, is this band could have written a few more lyrics to some of these songs, so it's not just... There's not as much repetition. But again, I understand why he did it, and that's an incredibly minor critique. Mm -hmm, for sure yeah no it's definitely sort of uh pastoral like liturgy a little bit in terms of the repetition the yeah. deliberate that's repetition. a that's a pretty interesting way to describe it and i would i agree with you on that and that maybe he wrote them in the sense that if he got them to at least understand said it enough and sung it enough that these people that everybody listeners would begin to understand what he was talking about and kind of like how they're viewing them, like, oh, this is an issue, so we'll kind of click with them and be like, oh, gotcha, kind of deal. It definitely makes it stick with you, too. All right. Well, do I, 
We think it's time to grade this thing. I could grade this thing. I love this record. It's so good. <laughs> Go right ahead, my friend. I mean, it's an A, obviously. I mean, a solid A. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily go to 100 because I never do that. I'm always that guy. But, yeah, this gets a 95. It's a solid A. Just in terms of the, you know, the mixing of it, the the arrangement, you know, how brutal is the message, the packaging. I mean, just it's, you know, tens across the board. <laughs> yeah, I'm also going to give it an A. Um, I am not afraid to hand out an A-plus every now and again, even though I usually don't go all the way to 100. Um, but just, and again, I understand why he does it, but if I'm going to, to nitpick it a little bit, I am going to drop it down to an A just because of the severe repetition of some of the tracks. I think I'm going to be oddball here and give it an A plus. Like I really enjoyed this album and this album been out, like it wasn't, I'm trying to think of a way to phrase it. Like, I didn't grow up with it in the sense like you guys, where you had it in your adolescent, like, came out in your adolescent years and it stuck with you. There were, I, like, I'd heard of parts of this album from here and there, and this is my first actual full listening from start to finish on it. Like, I'd always heard their more catcher stuff, and I'd listened to Battle for Los Angeles a couple of times. But going through it and listening to this now, I guess in the context that we're in, it made me realize how much. I feel like we need a band like this in the sense of Otep released Colt 45 and I think it was 2018 when she released it that tried to do something similar to this and it just fucking failed. It just didn't have the same gravitas to it. And I feel like these guys had, like this album created that gravitas for them that would later, that they're known for and shown for and they carried it throughout them the whole time from start to finish throughout their studio, throughout their recording days. And while I'm not as familiar with it as you guys are, I do feel like it has played an important part in that. And not only in, I guess you say this counterculture movement, but also within metal as a metal during the nineties. Cause I don't think you would have some of like the new metal bands you were talking about without these guys. Corn would not have happened without this band. No, oh, almost any of those bands. Yeah. So I, I agree yeah. with that. Because yeah, those, sorry. No, go ahead. I was just going to say the 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 two sort of earlier iterations of quote unquote rap metal were in some ways sort of false dawns. Like they didn't, nothing really came out of them. I mean, this is this is it in terms of the transition into you know snot and Limp Bizkit and on and on and on. I mean, it was rage. I wish we had a thousand more bands like this. <laughs> we, uh, on a certain level, we do. Like, I'm sure in niche markets, there are a million bands that sound like this. I'm sure there's bands that sound like this right now playing in Boston or San Diego. But, uh, you know, with how fragmented the market is, it's just, you know, they just don't, I don't think any of them really have a mass audience the way rage did. I mean, and I don't want to, you know, overshade this rage was not, you know, a hit among the kids necessarily at pool parties or their parents, but um, you know, they were a big deal in a way that there, I agree with Tracy, there isn't a band like this right now really. No, and I would agree with that. There's definitely not one that has that uh, gravity well around them, drawing people into them in the same way. I mean, 
you know, they're the, they're a band that we still need. And I, I kind of hate that they broke up when they did. And I get it. I mean, could, happens, you, but... could you imagine them in the Bush years or now if they were recording? And I think part of it, it looking at the dates when they released the albums, it kind of seems like, oh, Quentin's in office. Well, this is the underbelly that people might not know about, so it's not getting reported on. And then Bush is then Bush got him into office, and they're probably like, oh, well, obviously people see the fuck up that this guy is. So we can, uh, we're, they know what he's fucking up, so we ain't got nothing to worry about here, kind of deal. Well, I think Maybe? people forget just how insane a time the early 90s were because we get to that mid-90s and you have like Smash Mouth and Sugar Ray and, and all that sugary stuff that came out. Not that there wasn't sugary stuff earlier, but the 90s were a pretty volatile time because you were, you know, we had the ending of the Cold War, but we didn't really know what the fuck was going on with it. And then we also had domestically, you know, the L.A. riots of 92, Waco the next year in 93. So there was a lot of fairly heavy shit that was still going on for that immediate post-Cold War generation. Yeah, uh, I'll agree with you on that one. And I never owned the physical copy of this own album, but I did own the physical copy of Battle for Los Angeles for a short period of time. And uh, I know in the booklet for that, they gave several organizations and NGOs that it's like these people are working for this matter. These people are working for this matter and asking him like kind of like, hey, if you agree with us, here's places you can donate or volunteer to help out with their causes. Well, they did that on this album, too. As a matter of fact, in the liner notes for this album, they think Bobby Sands and the, the provost and uh, Huey P. Newton of the Black Panther Party. So it was a, a very anti-imperialist album in that way. So it's just, just making the irony of people in this area singing Rage of Sheen so much more uh, tastier. I mean, you know, Paul Ryan, man, <laughs> like you said. <laughs> yeah. I know I saw that quote. I was like, huh, well, I guess in his mind, it's the Democratic establishment, not the state or capital. I, I don't know. Yeah. The machine equals big government. Never mind all the pillaging that you are doing in the name of corporations, which are also the fucking machine. Ah, <laughs> oh, Paul. You know, I hope he's enjoying himself. Yeah, he's fucking retirement. <laughs> so. So yeah, um, what are we doing next, Tracy? The next album we are releasing, we are doing. War of the Worlds Part 1 by Michael Romeo. Almost said Romero. (laughs) It sounds like it should be Romero. I have not heard that, so I'm interested to see how that will turn out. And I'm interested to see what you think, considering our discussion on Genesis. (laughs) Oh, if it's like Genesis, I'm going to tell you now that I hate it. Hate it! Hated it! (laughs) It's it's not... I'll let you listen to it, and we can have a discussion when it happens, but... I believe this album is more suited for that style than more expensive PMS was. Okay, well, I guess we'll see. But anyway, enjoy this one, because I really love this one, because as we know, I like angry stuff, and you're not going to get too much more angry than Raging As The Machine was. You're not. They All have right, rage well, in their name. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, thank you, David, for joining us again on Thunderdome Metal Reviews. Thanks for having me. Anytime, my brother, anytime. And thank you guys for listening, and stay safe out there, and we'll talk to you next time. <laughs>